0: obedience how do you feel about it when somebody tells you what to do when jesus gave the great commission to his disciples when he sent them out he told them to make disciples of all nations baptize them and then teach them to obey everything i command you jesus words not mine one year ago if i was to tell you wash your hands for 20 seconds wash your hands for 20 seconds scrub between your fingers under the nails rinse thoroughly Uh, Dry them with a clean cloth or a single-use towel. Make sure you do everything I've just told you. Wash your hands for 20 seconds if you sneeze, if you cough. Wash your hands if you go out into the public, if you've gone to a gas station, a grocery store, if you've handled money. Wash your hands before you eat. Wash your hands after you eat. Do all these things just as I've told you. And there's more. Don't go out in public. Don't eat in a restaurant. No hockey games. No church. No church. Make sure you wear a mask. Keep at least two meters apart from anyone else except your own household. You'd probably say you're crazy one year ago, three months ago. But today, you're more likely to say, I got it, okay, yes. What's changed? The context. Listen, as a church, we're going through 1 Peter and as we journey through it, today we're going to hit a section, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 21, where people tell, uh, Peter tells the followers of Jesus what to do. These are called imperatives. They're the wash your hands, obedience uh, instructions that we are given. But as we listen to them, it's important for us to understand the context. Peter begins this important section with the word, therefore, which means we need to listen and pay attention to what he's already written. He's writing to a scattered group of people. Their current reality is suffering and being displaced. But in that context, Peter has drawn them to a greater reality. And he's pointed them above the forest so that they can see things clearly from God's perspective. In chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter has pointed them to their glorious past. They've been born again, and he points them to their glorious future, that they have an inheritance coming, a salvation yet to be revealed. In the in-between, Peter speaks of a people that can be joyful. They can live in joy, not because their problems are going to be removed from them or they're going to receive their wishes, but because they know they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 13, therefore. This is the context. This is the bridge between what has happened to us gloriously and what is to come, a glorious salvation which is going to be revealed. And the in-between, it's joyful obedience. Therefore. Obedience is is a bridge to God's blessing. Obedience doesn't restrict us from our freedom, it's the pathway to it. Obedience is not legalism, it is life. And this morning we're gonna look at the what of obedience, we're gonna look at the why of obedience, and we're gonna look at the how of obedience. We start in verse 13 with the what to do. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are four imperatives that Peter gives in this section and the first one begins with set your hope. You may not have realized it, but we are a people of hope. We're always looking forward to something in the future. It starts early in our life. I can't wait till I get into high school. I can't wait till I get my driver's license. And for us often it's even, I can't wait till I get to the weekend. There are so many things to hope for. And right now I think in in the world we have a shared hope. We can't wait till this coronavirus thing is over with what do you hope for? When you, were, when you get the sentence, my life would be so much better if, how would you complete that sentence? What are your hopes set on? Peter says, set your hope on Jesus Christ. Set your hope on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How often when we're discussing a problem or an opportunity or a life decision or situation, do we talk about The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is part of that conversation. Hardly ever, I think. Recently, I was on one of our online prayer meetings. And by the way, if you haven't joined us for one of those, I just so encourage you to do it. It's so life-giving. But at the prayer meeting that I was at, our facilitator, she got us to have a discussion in our small groups about, what are you looking forward to in the next life when when Jesus comes and he brings the new new heaven and the new earth? And it was just so life-giving in it. Something we need to do. Peter says, anticipate it, think about it. Set your mind to do this. Prepare your minds for action. It's not gonna come naturally, but it's so life-giving when we do. Bring it into your perspective. Set your hope. Secondly, Peter says, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. New Testament writers understood that there are forces at play that wanna draw us away from obedience to God. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to this world because it wants to squeeze you into its mold. Here Peter talks about the pressures that are within us, the passions of our former ignorance. He echoes this in chapter two verse 11 where he says to abstain from these passions. They wanna pull us away from, from being obedient to God. They're there, they're the residue of our former life but we don't need to live in them any longer. What this means is we don't don't let what's inside of us rule us. We take rule over our emotions and our feelings. Now, this is a new concept to some of us. Does this mean I'm violating my authentic self? No, actually, it means you're learning to live in your new self whom God has made you to be. You are born again. Don't live according to your former ignorance. Now, I'm, I'm sorry if, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and you may find that offensive, but you gotta understand, Peter finds the ways of Jesus so outstanding that to live in any other way is to live in an area of ignorance. So don't, don't let your passions take you where they wanna go. Abstain from them. And Peter writes thirdly, be holy, be holy. And he quotes from Leviticus. He goes all the way back to your favorite book in the Old Testament. Leviticus is an incredible book. Incredible book. There's so many details there. In my NIV study Bible, it talks about Leviticus as a book written as if it was written to people, like a training manual for people who work in an atomic plant. Only the dangerous material that Leviticus is describing, working with is God himself. And we are told to be holy, to be distinct, to be separate. You know, the New Testament writers give many lists as they write about things we should be doing and things we shouldn't be doing. I think we intuitively know what those are and even people who don't follow Jesus know that Christians should be living differently. They should be a certain way. We should be pure. We should be honest. We should be just in our dealings, generous, without anger. Um, We should be upright in all our business dealings and and on and on it goes. We should be faithful to our families. They understand that. Peter says, be holy. Fourthly, he says, fear God. There's a lot of fear going on right now. We're, we're afraid of the coronavirus. We're afraid that we might catch it or someone we love, especially those that are older might catch it. We're afraid we might lose our job or, or have our income lessened. We're afraid of what's gonna happen to our economy or you know, how is our government gonna deal with this exploding debt? There's a lot of legit reasons to fear. Jesus knew his disciples would have their own reasons to fear and he knew that after he would be crucified and die that the same people that killed him would also wanna do his followers harm and kill them. But listen to what he says to them in Matthew chapter 10. He says, don't fear them that can kill the body. He says, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Don't miss what he's saying. Jesus is saying, fear God. Now, if you've been in Christian circles for any length of time, no doubt you've heard verses that seem to express something different. 1 John is a great example of that. It says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We read that verse and it just seems to be contradictory to what Peter is saying and we read situations where an angel appears or or Jesus speaks to people and and the words out of their mouth are fear not what's what's going on is is God contradicting himself I don't think so my answer is simply this when we fear God we've got nothing to fear let me explain to you what I mean A while back, my family and I went to a place called Chatterbox Falls. It's in a remote area, uh, crows fly west of Whistler. You can only get there by boat. And as we were there, no one else was there, but there were these signs warning us not to get too close, uh, that it would be slippery and dangerous. Now we feared enough that we stayed in a place of obedience and because of that, we really had nothing to fear. And we so enjoyed our time there. Sadly, we heard later that someone who hadn't paid attention, who hadn't feared enough, had actually slipped and and fallen to their death at Chatterbox Falls. There are temptations that want to take us down, um, cliffs of temptation that want to swallow us up. When we fear God, we we find ourselves in a place of obedience where we stay away from those things and we, we live in safety. Fearing God will serve you well. No wonder Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it talks about how the fear of God leads to life and and fruitfulness. Peter says, fear God all your life, throughout your whole time of exile, that is this time on earth. Have a fear of God and it will serve you. Set your hope. Don't conform. Be holy. Fear God. Why? Why? Why should we do that? You know, in this time of COVID-19, people sometimes do question, and why all this social distancing and isolation? We really want to know the why. We wanna make sure that it makes sense what we're doing. Why should we obey God? Like, why bother? Doesn't grace take care of all of that? Maybe you've grown up in a situation where it was so much about the rules. Christianity was all about the to-do lists, It became a distorted priority so that you and people around you were either accepted or rejected based on what you do. And yet here's Peter telling us what to do. Certainly there is a why that is more significant and more right than legalism. Why should we obey? Well, let's remember this section of scripture comes with that word, therefore. Peter's already given us a couple of, reason, of reasons. Because of what God has done in the past, we've been born again. Because of what is coming, this revelation of grace when Jesus returns, those are great reasons, and yet in this section, Peter gives us a number of more reasons. Here's why we should obey God. First of all, because God is your Father. Peter writes, as obedient children, Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We obey God because he is our father. And our father knows what we need. He knows what's good for us. We don't obey God because we're a servant who has no choice. We don't obey God because we're a debtor who's trying to earn something. We obey God because God loves us and he knows what's best for us. Hey, if you've ever been a parent, you know that you know some things that your children do not know. A two-year-old can't yet grasp why they shouldn't touch that hot barbecue. And so do not touch is actually something really good for them. God knows some things that we don't. And sometimes his ways may seem counterintuitive to us, but in reality, they lead us to life. We obey God because God is our Father and because we want to be like him. As Peter has said, he is holy, so be holy. You know, I've noticed how Kids who, who love their fathers, like they want to be like him and sometimes it just happens, they, they start to imitate him. I was watching a young adult a while back and I knew his dad and as I watched this young adult, I could not believe how his mannerisms were so much like his father's, like the way he shrugged his, shoulder, his shoulders, the way he moved about, the way he laughed, et cetera. This is what happens. Because God is our father, we begin to imitate him. We want to be like him and Peter says, your dad is holy so be holy this is what we are purposed for all along when god created humankind he created us to be image bearers of god so that when people look at us they see god because of the way we act the way we think be holy because god is holy our father is holy in verse 17 because our father judges and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. God judges, hey, if you aren't in Christ, there's no positive spin you can put on this. But for those who are in Christ, who have put their faith in Jesus, the judgment is not for punishment. The judgment is for rewards. It's amazing. Imagine a child, she's out on the driveway and she's creating some beautiful chalk drawings and her dad comes out on the front lawn and pays absolutely no attention to what she's doing. I mean that's that'd be heartbreaking for the child our God's not like that the fact that he takes interest in what we're doing so much so that he pays attention to our every deed and judges it not for punishment for but for rewards is amazing we are so undeserving, like God has done so much in rescuing us in his mercy that we've been born again and, the, and, and that he has taken care of our future and yet he tells us repeatedly in the New Testament that he's going to reward us for our good deeds. Like, come on, we don't need this. And yet this is part of the grace that is gonna be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We obey God because God judges We obey God because of what God has done for us. We read in verse 18 and 19, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I've got to say, I've been at too many deathbeds in my life but one thing you realize in those situations is the sacredness of life. And that's what blood represents. Scripture shows us, tells us that Jesus gave his blood for us. He gave his life so that you and I might live. I hope this never gets old for us. I'm understanding more and more that Jesus ransomed me. He set me free. I couldn't come free from my sin. I, I couldn't do anything about my separation from God. I was hopeless. I was lost. But Jesus was willing to rescue me. And what had to happen and what he was willing to do just indicates the magnitude of his love for me. He would give his life. He would shed his blood for me. Now, if Jesus has done that for me, ah. Uh, My life has to be more than about my comfort, my success, my goals. It has to be all about him. And Peter says this is what happens when we obey God. See, the fourth thing that happens, which he refers to in 1 Peter chapter 2, is that as we conduct ourselves among other people in an honorable way, even though right now they may speak against us as evildoers, they may criticize the fact that you're living honestly, that you don't, uh, you know, you don't indulge in the things that they want you to indulge in, they, they think that you're more higher and mighty than they are. They may criticize you now, but on that day, On that day when Jesus comes, when His grace is brought to us in His revelation, they're gonna be reminded of your good deeds and it says they will glorify God. We obey God because God is our Father. We obey God because we wanna be like Him. We obey God because this is what we are purposed to do. We obey God because we have a hope. We obey God because He paid a high price for us. We obey God because we want to see Him glorified. Man, I hope you can leave this place today so excited to obey. It's like no wonder the psalmist in in Psalm 119, like throughout the psalm he talks about the gloriousness of just obeying God's word. I delight to do your will, he says. Like strike up the band. Let's start singing and rejoicing and let's get out there and obey God. Hmm. There's a bit of a gut check here too, I think, in what Peter's writing He's made us aware that there is a war going on. There's a a war that's waging. And the moment you decide, I want to obey God, you're gonna become more aware of that war. Even the passions from within you that want to pull you away from obeying God. Some of you are watching or listening today and and you know you're so frustrated with your disobedience because you've tried to obey God and you've fallen over and over and over again. you're at a place where it's like, what's the use? How do we obey? Grace, grace. We are saved by grace. There's a grace that's gonna be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in the, in, in the bridge in between where we live it out and we're called to obey, we do so not just in our own strength, we do it by the very grace of God. And we need to know that we have God's help God has given us his Holy Spirit. Peter refers to this right from the get-go. In the beginning of chapter one, he writes these words. To those who are elect exiles of the the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now listen to this. In the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be be multiplied to you. That's God's desire for you. As you make a choice to step out into obedience with him, he has given his spirit to set you apart, to help you live differently, to be holy as God is holy for obedience to Jesus Christ. And as you step out, his spirit's gonna be there and he's gonna help you. He won't do it without your help. Obedience doesn't happen without us. But it doesn't happen just because of us. The nation of Israel was promised a a land they were to go into and possess. It wouldn't happen without them. They had to go into the battle. But they certainly didn't have to fight the battle alone. When we choose to obey and we take that step of obedience, God's spirit comes and he empowers us. It's God's provision for us. You can be victorious, but not in yourself. Only in him by the grace of God. That's God's provision for you. The sanctification, the work of the Holy Spirit. And there's more. The community of fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Perhaps if you heard me read the scripture this morning and you heard the words you, you took it very personally And, and that's good. God is writing to us personally, but the you's in scripture so often are plural. And the early church probably heard that as a community that we don't just obey God on our own, we obey God together. How often have I seen when people are open with one another and they're authentic and they discuss and pray together with one another about their struggles and they encourage one another and they're in each other's lives to obey God, that obedience happens. This also is the provision of God's grace, the Holy Spirit in God's community And I've seen it happen over and over again in places where obedience was not thought possible. It happens. I wanna share with you a story on that line today. Here's the story of Chris.
1: It nearly cost me my family. It nearly cost me my life. The guilt, the shame, the condemnation, the feeling of worthlessness. I hated what I had become. I was broken. I was 30 years into a porn addiction that had total control over my life. The enemy filled me with the lies and I believed them. That you are alone. You're the only one struggling with this. You can't tell anyone. Do you think a hypocrite like you could be forgiven for something like this? What would the church say? What would your family say? I had to, at all costs, keep this to myself. I had to keep it hidden. And that's what Satan wants. You see, his power grows in secret. And when he has you believing that you are alone, you feel like there's no way you will ever break free from these chains. You will feel like there's no way that obedience to Christ is possible for you. But this isn't a story about condemnation. This is a story about redemption. I am a child of the living God. I have been ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ. On December 15th, 2018, I brought my secret out into the light. I came to Jesus with brokenness, with a humble heart, surrendering in the knowledge that I cannot defeat this on my own, like I tried and failed so many times before. I surrounded myself with people who cared for me, who supported me, who understood what I was going through and together with God put together a plan for victory. It is only by the grace of God, the support I've had from my wife, my family, the people at this church, that I've been walking in over 500 days of victory. (laughs) See, I'm not alone. I was never alone. I just didn't realize it. God has surrounded me with so many people. He's renewed my spirit. He's restored my life. He's restored my marriage. He's given me the discipline to not only walk in victory from this, but also to get myself physically healthy. The story of my past is painful, but it's my story. And you see, God doesn't waste pain. God wants to use my story to help others. He's given me a passion for the men in this community. There are so many people in this world that struggle with this addiction. And I want them to know that God can give them freedom from it.
0: God makes obedience possible, his spirit and the community of believers. Hey, I wanna finish this time together with you with a prayer and a prayer of submission And if you're watching or listening and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you're not a child of God yet through faith, um, I invite you to join with me in this prayer as we all pray together just to surrender our lives afresh to God. Um, Please join me. God, we come before you and we are so grateful that you would love us so much that you would send your son Jesus who would give his life for us. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that ransoms us from sin and from fear of judgment. We thank you that makes it possible for us to enter into a life as your son and daughter with you. We ask you Lord to again, just be the Lord of our lives, take control and would you help us to live in obedient ways by your spirit and with community of fellow sons and daughters of Jesus Christ to glorify you through the way that we live. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Hey, if you prayed that prayer uh, for the first time, uh, we'd love to journey with you in your relationship with Jesus. On the website of Central Heights, centralheights.ca, there's a connect button. You can click on that. Let us know that you've committed your life to Christ and we'll get in touch with you and just talk with you how we can be of help in your journey with him. Also, if you're you know, a follower of Jesus, you are sort of part of Central Heights, but you're not connected in community, we'd love to help you there as well. And if you connect, hit that connect button, just let us know. And we'll, we'll we'd love to chat with you as to how you can be involved in a right now a virtual community group, but to journey together with others in authentic relationship to know and follow Jesus better. And now we're just going to In song, remind God how desperately we need him and enter into a place where we just want to worship and glorify him. I invite you to sing along with these videos.